I'm at AU79 in Abbotsford with my good friend Dean Schmidegg, who is a photographer, copywriter, creative consultant in hospitality, and a very flamboyant entrepreneur. And I think he may have just come up with the new name for my new business project, which is exciting, but you'll have to stay tuned for that. So we're in a cafe, there's a roastery, there's uh, baristas, there's a whole bunch of floor staff and a lot of noise in the background. So this is great for a Melbourne coffee culture podcast. And I do want to say that AU79 is doing something a little bit different. They've started off by buying a whole bunch of cafes and then they've gone and started their own roastery and now they're sort of changing coffee culture a little bit because they've got uh, a significant presence and some great coffee too. Uh, the head roaster is Mine, who used to work for Liar Liar in uh, Glenferry Road, Hawthorne, uh, and now he's roasting some great coffee here, so highly recommend it. And today we're just going to talk coffee, and I also wanted to mention that Dean has uh, been a coffee review writer for Graham magazine. Uh, he's written a couple of coffee reviews for myself uh, at Promised Land Coffee and at a cafe or two that I've worked at in the past. So he's been a uh, coffee reviewer for three years and he likes black coffee with a little bit of milk. Would you call it a, a do-it-yourself macchiato? So Dean always has a lot to say. So Dean... Is there anything I missed? Is there anything that, that you do in Melbourne that I haven't yet mentioned? Um, well, I also happen to have a, uh, a video directory of bars around Melbourne. Oh, Bard Up. Yep, so uh, called Bard Up, and, uh, we, uh, and we work a lot in the alcohol industry, working with a lot of brands um, and venues, um, doing 60-second little video features um, so people can check out the bar before they go out to drink and get a sense of the uh, of the place and sort of the whole premise was to introduce a bit more soul and atmosphere into the online experience so people get to feel um, and it's something that I apply very much to the coffee reviews that I write as well. They're very much about... Um, about telling a story and about giving a sense of place and a sense of feel. Um, it's, all, it's all about the storytelling rather than about just dissemination of information and telling people sort of where it is, what it is, and especially how to drink it. I'm very, very clear that, you know, to, to let people know how I drink my coffee and how I like my coffee and the style of sort of coffee that I like to drink and the, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the roast as well. Um, everybody's got a different palate. So while I do write about it, I'm very much about um, giving people the information um, in, in a very accessible way. Um, but also, I suppose when people ask me about that coffee review and how I write it, I like to say quite simply that I write about coffee and I try to remove as much of the wank factor out of it as possible. So it's very, it's very uh, much about sort of talking to the mainstream rather than niche because I think specialty coffee is something that is quite niche and people sort of see all these roasteries and 
and these, you know, coffee companies that have started up and they think that, you know, they're taking over Melbourne. And while it does appear to be like that, um, and, you know, it is growing and the popularity um, is obviously is growing in that, in that area, realistically, the average person just wants to go out and have a coffee and they often, most people still want to drink their coffee white and they want to have a coffee that they can taste through their milk and that's what they generally uh, are looking for. So when I'm talking to people, I always generally talk about the blends. I don't talk about single origins because obviously they rotate. Um, so it's often about a coffee that they can get, you know, when they read the review, if they read the review that, you know, a month after it's been written. Um, but it's also something that's, it needs to be something that's quite stable as well. So they can get it generally all the time, even if it's a seasonal sort of blend. There's something that gets adapted seasonally with the availability of the beans but they try to replicate that profile um and because that's generally what the average person wants to drink and you know if the if the cafe happens to have a single origin available or they do offer something more than a blend well if, if they want to try that then they can and i do often mention that in in the review as well like that there are other options of of coffee so yeah i think i think that's sort of gives you a nice little chunk of information. That's great. Thank you. I think it's uh, a real privilege for our listeners to have someone who's just so deeply connected in the hospitality industry. And I wanted to say, you're such a great writer. I actually cried. I, I cried when I read the Promised Land Coffee review because you, you listened to me and you wrote truths that I didn't even know about myself like you you are such a good listener and and that really comes through in the barred up videos as well because I think what I've noticed from those videos is the camera walks into the bar and it feels like that's what it's going to be like if I was to go to that bar it's not just showing a wanky cocktail waiter doing stuff it's actually you feel the venue, you, 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 you see the lighting in the room, and it's like you're inside the bar. And I think that that's something that's really unique that you bring uh, through the Bard Up videos. Is, has that been intentional? Um, yeah, I suppose the thing is, is that it was very much about creating a sense of place. So, you know, I, I, will, I will preface all of this by saying that I do have a business partner in that, and he is a professional videographer. And, you know, a lot of the style of how those videos look um, obviously you know down to him and the editing but I do a lot of the narration in terms of you know coming in there and sort of having those conversations before with the venue managers or the owners and when we're filming the videos I'm always there and going through sort of making sure that things are captured the right way especially if we've got a brand on board that we're collaborating with um, but yes it is very much about making sure that when you know and I am involved in the, in the editing process and and making sure that things, you know, look good as well. But really, it is very much about when, when people look at those videos, they want to feel like they're there, and when they go there, that's what they're going to get. So, you know, we don't bring in, you know, all this external lighting and try and make it look all, you know, different to what it is. If it's a dark bar, it's a dark and moody bar. If it's a bright, you know, bar with, you know, all these vibrant colours, we try to capture that as well, you know. It's, you know, it's, it's very much about showing things as they are and I'm like that with all the other work that I do that I like to capture things naturally. So whether it's my photography, 
Um, and regardless of who I'm photographing or what the subject matter is, um, or if it's writing, it's very much about being very honest um, and telling the story. So, you know, tying it back to the coffee, you know, when I write about, when I do write about the coffee, often what I'll do is I'll ask the roaster, um, you know, or like when I, you know, spoke to you, it was very much about um, getting as much information from you as possible because you are the expert. You're the one that, that produces that coffee or roasts that coffee or brews that coffee. Why would I try and put words into your mouth? So, you know, if you, you know, if you or, you know, a roaster that I'm speaking to gives me their tasting notes and says, this is, you know, this is how I believe that the coffee uh, tastes or how I wanted it to taste or, you know, the, the, the profile of it, I, I'm very, very clear that that is, that is what they think and that is their words. I don't, I don't sort of try and, um, I suppose, you know, make out like it's, you know, like it's mine in any way. Um, that, that kind of stuff I will actually just pull, pull from them and I try to weave that information into, into a story and then tie it into wherever I've drunk that coffee. So there's, there's a, it's, it's about tying in the coffee with a place where you can actually drink the coffee um, so that people understand the experience. And then from there, um, I'll also, obvi- I, I, I list as many, well, not as many, I generally a maximum of five places where people can drink that particular blend um, or coffee um, around Melbourne. So that, you know, if somebody's north side um, and they live in Preston, there might be a cafe around them or in Coburg or Brunswick that they can drink that coffee. If they live south side around St Kilda, there might be somewhere that's around Paran or, you know, South Yarra or, you know, Brighton, somewhere close to them, that they can drink the coffee rather than feeling like, oh, I have to drive 40 minutes away to drink that coffee if they live nowhere near that area. So, again, it's very much about helping people um, in all aspects of, of what I do. So is there a story for Melbourne coffee culture overall? Have, in terms of your experience, you've been drinking coffee at cafes, writing reviews for three years. Obviously, you were drinking coffee a long time before then. Yeah. Uh, is there uh, a, an overarching theme? What, what are the trends? What's, what, what's happening in Melbourne coffee? Are there too many cafes? What, what's happening? What's the story if you had to write about the industry overall and the trends? Okay, so funnily enough, I've had a few people, like just friends of mine, say, oh my God, there's like, there's so many cafes around Melbourne. There's, you know, there's too many cafes. There's always cafes opening. I don't know. Like, to be honest, I think that's bullshit. There can never really be, you know, how can there be too many? I mean, on a Saturday or Sunday, you go past cafes and there's, you know, a waiting list and you've got to put your name down and whatever. I mean, there's always room for another cafe. You know, if you're on a strip and you've got a cafe and someone else opens up near you, don't see it as competition. See it as bringing more people to the area because if they're busy, you're going to be busy. Um, so that, that kind of thing I find really sort of interesting. In terms of the actual, you know, coffee, um, you know, coffee culture, I think that, you know, people are just, it's on an upward tra- trajectory. You know, people have just say they're on this ride you know coffee coffee more coffee it's like there's there's no let up with it so I don't think that you know things are going you know down in any way in terms of the actual style of coffee and what people are drinking what I've noticed uh, a lot of change in the past three years is that 
Um, I think that the way that people are drinking coffee and what they're looking for is different. So a lot of cafes aren't giving people too many options anymore. They don't have all these hoppers sitting there with beans in them saying, oh, you know, you can have this, you can have that. Because people, I think, just got very confused and they didn't know what to drink. And there's too many, there's too much conversation, too much discussion. And people just really wanted to have a good coffee. So what I think has happened is that people are generally either going and wanting to have the, like, the, or sorry, the cafes are generally offering like one really, really good blend um, that is great either for white and black coffee, or they're offering something that they believe is better for white and then they're having one other coffee that might be good for black and it might be another blend, it might be a single origin, um, or... Um, a lot of cafes, um, or sorry, not a lot, some cafes now also, instead of offering a blend, they'll offer a single origin in place of a blend that they believe works really well for milk, and that often happens where the cafe owner might roast in-house, and, you know, the you know one of the ones that I've noticed um, is, you know, a cafe that I go to, um, you know, quite often, and, and they use a Brazil... Um, as their, you know, blend in inverted commas because that coffee works really, really well with milk. Um, and it's, you know, the, the, the nature of the South American beans is that they can work that way. So, I mean, I've noticed that as a little bit of a trend, but the other thing is, is that people have now migrated back to that whole Italian espresso feel, um, but they want it with a twist. So, you know, I think there's that shift back to medium roasted, like darker roasted coffee, away from that lighter roast. And a lot of people are like, I don't want fruity coffee. I don't want coffee that is super acidic. And I think people also don't mistake the acid for also another thing, which, you know, the way that coffee refers to is brightness and giving that slight like that that little bit of freshness to it and i think that people want that italian espresso profile but they want a little bit of that brightness they want a bit of that liveliness in it so that it has that that dimension to it and it's not so flat and that's sort of what i've noticed which is great for me because that's what i like drinking um and so it's great i i i now find that when i'm going out for coffee a lot of what's being offered is more in the style of what i like to drink um, which is great, but then I don't, I never poo-poo sort of what, what other people's tastes are, and I do believe that there is a place for those brighter coffees. Um, and often when I drink things like pour-overs or batch brew, they're often the coffees that I much prefer to drink and eat, and also if I do choose to have a black coffee, I will go for a coffee like that because I do believe they work much better black yeah. as well. So, yeah. That's great. Now, you've obviously walked into a struggling cafe once in your life and, you know, the cafe's empty, the owner's maybe stressed out or struggling, maybe one that doesn't have a wait, waiting list on a Saturday. Do you notice any particular characteristics of a cafe that's struggling? Is it location? Is it the owner's uh, lack of experience? What would you suggest, like, uh, is uh, a, an opportunity to overcome that? Um, to be honest, I think that it can be like a multitude of factors. It, you know, it's really hard to pinpoint that kind of thing. I mean, I have gone into many cafes like that. And, you know, I'm not one of these people that if I walk past and there's no one in there that I won't go in. Um, sometimes I can be what appears to be a little bit fussy and snobby in terms of coffee, which is funny because I'm very quick to say that I'm not a coffee snob. 
I just like drinking good coffee. I don't go out there looking to critique the coffee. If the coffee just tastes good to me and, you know, if it's really, you know, smooth and really nice to drink and I enjoy it, then it's a good coffee for me. You know, I don't go out there expecting to taste specific elements of the profile and look, I want to see the tasting notes and know where the coffee's exactly come from and, you know, the farmer and, you know, what he's, you know, what he's done and how many times a day he's gone to the toilet, you know. I don't need to know everything that he does, you know. I'm not, I'm not that detail-driven when it comes to my coffee. But, you know, I will go into that cafe and give that a go and want to see whether, you know, whether they can deliver the goods. And, you know, sometimes I've been really surprised. You know, I've gone into a cafe expecting it to be maybe, you know, not so great because it's empty and maybe there's a problem there. Go in there and the guy's, like, really, really great at making coffee um, and he makes me a great coffee and it it happened recently. And um, it just, you know, it's never had a cafe before, um, never been in the industry, doesn't have the contacts, doesn't have you know, know all these influences on social media, um, which is probably another topic that we should discuss. Um, And um, I think that that's sort of, you know, something where, you know, maybe it's worked against him. Um, But then, you know, I've seen those kind of guys turn it around and really, you know, they it might take them a little bit longer, but, you know, six months down the track, they've really pushed and pushed and pushed. And they, you know, get a really strong local following and that cafe ends up becoming really popular. And I think, you know, you look at some of these big, you know, chain people that have had multiple cafes or open one cafe, then open another, they all had to start somewhere. And sometimes they're the cafes that, you know, to be honest with you, they all started there. They all probably started as, you know, empty, empty cafes, but they had this vision to create something big. So I listened to a great podcast yesterday on The Verve and they started in San Jose and they were making $200 a day. They, were, they had no customers walk in for six hours at a time. They now have cafes everywhere in Google, Facebook, you know, Dropbox. Like they are killing it, but they started off slow and I've, I've actually seen, I think it's unique to specialty coffee, that... Uh, attraction of the quality model if you just don't compromise on quality people will come and i think that's definitely still a a secret recipe in melbourne obviously you've got to know a bit of cash flow and have a bit of common sense one or two more questions um is are there any opportunities in coffee anymore maybe it is an influencer marketing opportunity maybe there's still a few untapped opportunities. What, what do you see as uh, future opportunities for growth, whether it be a product or a service or, or cafes? Um, I think that there's always room for growth. Like there's, there's, you know, there's always a way of doing things that maybe someone hasn't done before. And, and you know... I've, I've obviously been, you know, you've asked me to talk about myself and, I mean, you know, every all this stuff that I've been talking about is, you know, about, about what I do and about, you know, things that I've experienced. But, you know, if, if we look at, you know, um, my relationship with you and how we met, it was because you were doing something different and because you had taken the opportunity to see, um, 
let's say, a hole in the market with your uh, AirPods and about offering, you know, uh, pots of of coffee um, and your, you know, batch brews and stuff to to offices, to cafes, people who didn't have the time or have the knowledge to, to make that and to be able to say, hey, you can... You don't. You can have coffee, fresh coffee, every day in your office, and you can. It increases your productivity. You know, people don't have to go out and get a coffee. They can just go and, you know, press a button, and beautiful fresh coffee comes out. Or even in a cafe, you know, the cafe owner can focus on what they do best, which is making espresso coffee, serving food, and and you saw a hole in the market. So you know, there is room, just like you, for for people to come out and do that. And I know that you've got you know another little project that you've got in the pipeline that I think is. Again, very entrepreneurial and something that, you know, that I think is, could be really, really great, which, which I agree, you know, your listeners should be following and keep on listening and, and you know, checking out what you're doing to see, see what happens in that space. But I, I, I think that, you know, yeah, there, there is room. What I find interesting, and I had this conversation with the last coffee roaster that I wrote uh, my review on, he got into roasting coffee and set up his own roasting business about three years ago. So about similar time to when I started writing my review. And he said he's still, he's amazed at how many people now are just, you know, starting up coffee businesses and roasting businesses. And he said, it's just, it's so hard now. It's really hard. It is so saturated. Um, and you know, I know a lot of people who own cafes, obviously, and a lot of people who are opening businesses. And, you know, they're like so confused as to what coffee to use. Or some of them are like, oh, I know what coffee I'm going to use because I've drunk it at a cafe and I love it. Um, but it's very, very hard for um, roasters now to just get into cafes or convert cafes from one coffee to another. So I just, I think it's a very difficult market. Um, to get into, especially now, um, in that way. I think the way that it needs to sort of um, evolve is that it needs to be something more service-driven and coffee needs to become more of part of a service rather than just standing alone as coffee. Yeah. So it is a mature market and I'm about to release an episode on the industry overall. And I, I go through all of the different statistics in the industry. So the cafe industry, there's you know 14,501 cafes in Australia and they're growing at 1.1% per annum and, and what are the drivers of growth? And that's, that's going to be a great episode to listen to. I might even post it today um, just so that uh, we can do both episodes at the same time. <laughs> now, you mentioned influencer marketing. Um, I know of one cafe, and I mentioned it on one of the previous episodes, they basically contact bloggers, usually female bloggers, usually attractive young female bloggers. Wearing active wear. Wearing active wear, like 2XU. And these young, attractive female bloggers um, have 50,000 followers and... They basically come down to the cafe, have lunch, take a photo, and then the cafe gets smashed and gets really, really busy for a week. And they it costs them a bit of money. I don't know whether they always pay, but it seems to be a good model. It seems to be working. Um, and is that what you mean by influencer marketing? 
Um, so I agree with you. I think, though, that I will say this that there because I know some of uh, some of the bloggers because you know even though I suppose I've never considered myself a blogger, I do get called one because I write the coffee review, and obviously I've got my Instagram account which I often put up a lot of my coffee stuff on. Um, so I get invited to a lot of cafes and events. Um, some, some, you know, people that get invited, they will actually request payment um, on top of requesting to get their coffee or food for free. To be honest with you, it's really up to. I don't really get involved in that. I think it's between the cafe and the blogger. If the cafe, if the blogger wants to ask for money and the cafe is willing to pay, then good luck to them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think everybody needs to do what's right for them. Um, but be, like, the way that I see it is that there, there, there is a place for it. Um, I think that, you know, it is really good and there are some people with very, very big followings um, and they do write... I don't think it's really so much about coffee, to be honest with you. Most of them are about breakfasts, lunches, um, you know, and coffee factors into that and that's when they get busy and because people generally have coffee when they have breakfast or they have some sort of, some sort of liquid... You know, while they're having their breakfast, whether it's a, it might not be a coffee, might be a smoothie, might be you know, turmeric latte, latte, might be anything. But generally, coffee does factor into it in some way. Um, I think that that's how the that's where the coffee part of the equation um, comes into it. It's not really about you know, writing about coffee. To be honest with you, I'm probably one of the only people that will specifically go in in Melbourne and write about coffee or or you know post something just about the coffee and I post a lot about food as well um, but you know the, the the reason why I got into writing the coffee review and how that started was because of my Instagram account and because the then uh, editor and owner of Grand Magazine had seen what I was doing and, um, and I had also cheekily used one of the Grand Magazines in one of my photos. Loved what I was doing. Um, ended up putting my Instagram account, um, which if anybody's interested is, uh, is at DS Images. Um, you know, on, on, in, the, in the magazine as, you know, one of the five Instagrammer, Instagram, you know, Instagrammers of the month to follow. And then about six months later, decided that they wanted to change the magazine and, and offer a review and said to me, would you be interested in writing? Because as a copywriter as well, they knew that I could write and I could supply good photos as a photographer. So it was sort of like an all-in-one package. But interestingly enough, they asked me about writing it as a review and giving my opinion and giving a scale and, and scores. Oh. And that was where I shut it down and I said, listen, that is not how I write. I will not pit one roaster against another because there's too much good stuff happening and I don't write bad things about people even on my Instagram. I said, I only write about good stuff. So if I feature it, it means I think it's good. And so that was why my review is is more story-based because I wanted it to tell a story and to share to share good things that are happening in the coffee world and in Melbourne. So, you know, if, if, you know, if influencers, as you could say like me, use it for good and write good things about people, feature good things, then yes, I mean, I think it's a good thing and I think that there is a place for it because, you know, how can it be bad if a cafe gets slammed on a weekend because somebody's put something on their social media? I think it's great, but people have to be very careful to not just rely on that as 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 the be-all and end-all because that only, again, 
is one part of the market because the average Instagrammer that does that is around probably, you know, not even 18, probably around 20 years old to probably around, you know, maybe early, mid-30s. But then, you know, the people that are... You know, there are, there are, you know, older influencers as well, which is, which is not the issue. It's the people who follow social media. And the average person who follows social media is actually quite young. And they're the ones that now go into a cafe and hold up their phone and say, I want to order that. That's how they order. They don't even order off the menu. They order, they, they order off their Instagram feed from the cafe's Instagram feed or a blogger who has gone there. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, just another plug for my statistics episode. Uh, The 18 to 35-year-olds contribute 35% of all revenue to hospitality and coffee in Australia. So that's actually a big chunk. But if you want want 50-year-old people to come in and come to your cafe as well, then, then the chances are some of them will be on Instagram or Facebook but a lot of them won't because a lot of them did not grow up in that world and actually don't really care about it and don't actually understand it so you still need to use more traditional forms of marketing and that's why I also sort of say to people that when you do marketing when you open up a cafe or when you're doing that because I do consulting work to a um, a hospitality PR hospitality PR um, agency as well um, is that I always say, you know, especially like the way that they do things, it's always about also using traditional methods of public relations and sending in press releases to, you know, to newspapers and magazines, not just blogs, not just getting influencers, but actually getting people to write things about it. So when people, you know, open up a paper um, or, you know, they're, they're reading a magazine they actually can engage because a lot of people still engage that way. So I think there needs to be a mix of mediums um, when, when you're actually wanting to, you know, get involved in this business. That's great. And I want to respect your time and your car space as well. So <laughs> do you have anything else you want to plug? You mentioned DS Images <coughs> on Instagram. It might be um, a magazine you write for or a friend's business. Um, look, I mean, I don't, I don't generally try to um, sort of like plug anyone specifically because I think that that's not fair. I mean, you know, in terms of coffee and cafes and roasteries, I, you know, when people say to me, oh, what's your favourite coffee or where's your favourite place to go? I'm like, I don't have one. I've got my little regulars that I go to. And if people want to see those regulars, they can go on my Instagram and have a look because I often post, post from there and I'm not shy to say where I like going. Um, but yeah, I've got my the, the DS images, which is my um, which is my um, Instagram feed, which is all about coffee and food. And I also was going to be a chef before I became a photographer and a copywriter. So I love cooking. Um, so often there's stuff on there that I cook myself or I feature food as well. Um, and then if you know people are interested in obviously my um, the other business I have, which we feature a lot of our you know good places to drink and you know good cocktails and beer and and wine um that's um that's called bard up so that's you know bard up melb is the instagram that's b-a-r-d-u-p melb um so yeah so that's that's pretty much it but you're right you know around here in uh, in abbotsford the uh the uh the parking is uh is all timed and, and and we've been here for a while and had an awesome breakfast here at au 79 and some cracking coffee but uh yeah i, I agree um i don't think either of us want to get a ticket so Thank you so much for your time.
Good to chat, Jonathan, and, and I, I love what you're doing with this podcast. And again, same along the same lines of me, being really honest and just having really good conversation. And I also wish you luck with the next project that you've got, because again, I think that um, like Promised Land Coffee, I think that this could be a real game changer. Thank you. Hey, welcome back to the Melbourne Coffee Culture Podcast. Why am I doing this podcast? Well, I have a lot to share. And I believe that Melbourne is the epicenter of coffee development and progress in the world. It's not just myself saying this. Uh, we hosted the Melbourne International Coffee Expo and the World Barista Champions for the first time in 2013. We have the Barista Hustle putting out the best coffee education in the world. And we have a whole bunch of unique uh, characteristics here in Melbourne, like a small population. You know, three million people in the city, um, but an explosive coffee culture. It's very hard to do. There's, there's very high competition. We have over 300 roasters in this city. We have thousands of cafes with, I think, 15,000 seats. Uh, it's a crazy market, and I believe that we can export the Melbourne coffee culture to other cities around the world. And here is a resource that over the next five years, you can go through the archives, find a topic that you like, and if you're opening a cafe in China, if you're starting a roastery in South America, if you're wanting to freeze coffee beans from the farm and, and post them to cafes, around the world, you're gonna catch uh, glimpses and, and glean amazing insights from not only myself and industry, but from the people that I interview. And we've interviewed some great people. We've interviewed uh, David Hagar, who's growing an empire in terms of social media, and he's uh, blogged and cafe reviewed every opening since about 1999. Uh, we've interviewed uh, uh, photographers, cafe owners who've made millions of dollars buying and selling and starting cafes from scratch. Uh, we've talked to baristas and there are going to be many more interviews to come. I want to talk about hunger because I believe that hunger is the key to every barista's growth and development. You are not going to become a successful entrepreneur, founder, barista, cafe owner, unless you have that one secret ingredient. There has to be within you your own self-propelling, self-fulfilling motivation. You can't catch it. You can't learn it. You've either got it or you don't. And I am hungry for knowledge. I'm studying the barista hustle coffee education at the moment. I'm reading books about coffee. I'm reading blogs about coffee. I'm, I'm roasting coffee. I'm going to my competitors and asking questions and buying their coffee. I'm freezing coffee. I'm, I'm trying everything because I'm like a crazy man. Someone who's drunk no water for three days someone who hasn't eaten for three days. 
they're hungry. They, they'll do anything to catch a morsel, a crumb, a drop of water. And so I'm hungry and, and you've, got a, you've either got it or you don't. And, and this is not a, an ultimatum to say that if you don't feel hungry that you should get out of the industry, but, but you've got to have hunger. You've got to have that insatiable hunger for knowledge, for growth, for development, I believe, if you want to progress, if you want to learn, if you want to grow, I'd highly recommend listening to Seth Godin's podcast, Akimbo, A-K-I-M-B-O, that's M for Mary, and uh, that's a great place to maybe catch hunger. Um, You may have caught hunger from, uh, from the caffeine addiction, uh, you may have just, you know, found it difficult to live without coffee and, and got interested and, and just started to research it and, and the hunger came from, from just drinking coffee. You may have gone to a cafe like St. Ali in Melbourne or, <clears throat> or Proud Mary and been blown away, Padre, and, and been so inspired, so motivated <clears throat> that... It made you hungry. It made you ask questions. Something about the the way that we make coffee, the equipment, the boldness, the passion of other people can can be a contagion that can lead to hunger. So I'd say even though hunger can't really be be faked or caught or taught, you can catch the flame. You can find a spark, and it'll be different for everyone. And so for me, my hunger on the one hand comes from uh, the tangible, practical side of coffee. I love that you can make a coffee and it can be completed. Unlike a, a counsellor, you know, whose patients are never quite 100% fixed. You know, you, you counsel somebody and you fix all their problems and they come back with a new problem. A barista or a roaster has a finished product. You can make a coffee and say that is a finished product. And you can look at it and you can taste it and you can package it and you can ship it. And you can roast beans and they're finished and they're in a bag and they're in a box and they're on a courier and it's a sense of completion. I find that part of my, my uh, stimulation and hunger. The other part of it is we have barely scratched the surface coffee is changing every single part of it is dynamic and diverse and complex and chaotic and there's beauty in the chaos we don't want to control everything there's there's parts of coffee that that are uncontrollable that are immeasurable that are problems that are unsolvable that technology doesn't exist it's like nuclear fusion (laughs) we know that it's possible but we can't quite control it and, and that is another part of coffee. The other part, I believe, is, that, is the social and cultural aspect of how it affects relationships, how it affects groups, how it affects and infects people's relationships and communication. People can study in a cafe environment better than they can study at home. People have business meetings and have creative ideas happen in a a cafe and over coffee and revolutions happen over coffee that just don't happen anywhere else and so I find that 
that this has led me to to an ongoing growing hunger for knowledge and if you don't have hunger then I don't know how you're going to grow Today we are talking about latte art and similar to hunger visualization is a primordial tool that has been given to us you know by God if you can visualize something you can do it in fact absolutely evidently no thing has ever been made that did not first exist in the invisible realm no man created a chair without first visualizing the chair no one ever designed a car or built a house or whatever without first seeing it in their own imagination and so today for those who might argue and say hey how can Jonathan teach me how to do latte art without any visual assistance well you've got the most powerful video player ever created and it's your imagination and so if you just listen to me and obey these rules using your imagination visualizing what you know and what you are yet to know you will have the most powerful education available that's why podcasting is so effective on a side note podcasting is also effective in that it's compounding the law of attraction another primordial created principle of life you tend to find podcasts on topics that are of interest to you whether it be because of the algorithms that recommend it or the friends that you have but you tend to find content that is relevant to you that is a niche and that is a tribe and so welcome to the Melbourne Coffee Culture Podcast. Now I'm going to come back to some practical techniques and some basic instructions at the end but right now let's just visualize the milk jug that you're holding let's visualize the steam wand on the espresso machine it may be on the left it may be on the right you may be left-handed you may be right-handed the first thing you're going to do is look inside that milk jug and notice that it's dry there's no milk in there there's no water in there and then what you're going to do is you're going to put in the correct portion so if you're making one coffee you're going to put in exactly enough milk for one coffee two then enough milk for two so put that in there then what you're going to do is purge the steam wand turning it on turning it off making sure that there is no water left no condensation in the pipe then what you want to do is take control of the jug in the same way that you take control of a pen 
in your hand when you're writing. Have you noticed how you hold the pen very tightly? There's a precise angle, there's a downward pressure, and you're earthed to the table. In the same way, you want to have absolute control over that milk jug. So you're going to be holding it with one or two hands, and you're going to be earthed. You may be earthed to the table, you may be earthed to the drip tray, but you want to be holding the jug and controlling every movement in the jug. Imagine having a pole in your right hand and opening your palm facing up and trying to balance that pole. You're going to be moving everywhere. Then compare that to someone holding a walking stick where there's control and you're and you're pushing it down. So you want to be taking that later example. Then what you want to do is submerge the steam wand beneath the surface of the milk. Now these are the three steps that you're going to take in order. Number one is you're going to spin. You're going to spin the milk. So you're creating a vortex. You're creating a clockwise or anti-clockwise circular motion where the milk is going to be spinning. So everybody say out loud, say spinning. So there's no air being introduced at this time. In fact, at this moment, I'd like you to delete all records of the motivation to bubble the milk. I want you to delete all memory, all pictures of putting air into the milk because that is really not what you're doing. It's a very, very minor, later stage of what you're doing. Okay? So when you're steaming milk, when you're frothing milk, when you're texturing milk, when you're doing latte art, don't focus on the air. I said don't. Don't do it. Do not. That is the least of your concerns. 99% of your success is going to be on spinning. So again, out loud, everybody say spinning. Spinning. If you can spin the milk, then any later air that you introduced is going to be evenly distributed. Do a Google search for colloidal suspension. Okay, Google, define colloidal suspension. You're creating an emulsion. You're creating a temporary state of air and water and fat and protein. So after you're spinning the milk, you then want to drop the milk jug because you have total control because you're earthed and because it's already spinning. Now step two, everybody say step two. Step two, you're able to drop the milk jug millimeter by millimeter until you hear a kissing noise. It should not be a rumbling, bubbling noise. It should be a kissing noise like... It's a very short period of time, somewhere between 0.4 to 1 second. And that is going to introduce all the air that you need. And immediately, and I said immediately raise the milk jug so that the tip of the steam wand is again submerged. Then, guess what? Spinning the milk. Until the point that you feel what I call a pleasing heat sensation. A pleasing heat sensation is the moment where the jug 
is almost too hot to touch, but it's almost a pleasant feeling. Have you ever hopped in a bath or turned on the shower and you're trying to find that sweet spot? Maybe you've jumped in a freezing cold swimming pool after being in a hot spa bath. There's that sensation where your body doesn't really know if it's hot or cold and it's almost a pleasing feeling. I have found from nine years of steaming milk and from training seven or eight hundred people that that is the point of 61 to 63 degrees for everybody. Doesn't matter how old they are, doesn't matter how they hold the milk jug, I've found that everybody has the same internal calibration and it is exactly the right temperature for milk for most people. And so if your hand gets to the point where you're involuntarily, and I said involuntarily, taking your hand away, so it gets to that point of, okay, that's too hot to touch, I need to let go now. That's the point that you want to turn off the steam wand. And it's at that point that most people are at the perfect temperature. So if a customer's asking for an extra hot latte, maybe you continue for one or two seconds from that point. But that point, that moment, is your calibration. Now you may want to use a thermometer for training, but I found that to find the temperature that you involuntarily turn off the steam wand. If someone wants a warm coffee, then just turn the steam wand off one or two seconds earlier. So these are the three outcomes that we're getting from spinning, kissing, and spinning again. The first outcome is we're getting a heated product. So the milk is going from somewhere between two and five degrees Celsius to somewhere between 60 and 65 degrees Celsius over a period of about eight seconds. The second outcome is we're aerating the milk with that one quick kissing sound. And the third outcome is we're redistributing that air evenly through that vortex. Step one, spin the milk. Step two, lower the jug and introduce just the right amount of air. Step three, raise the jug and continue to spin until you get to 61 degrees. Just a few more thoughts on milk frothing. There's a video called Street Smart Latte Art Series by The Verve. Do a Google search for The Verve, V-E-R-V-E. V for victory, E for Edgar, R for Roger, V for victory, E for egg, Verve. Google the Verve Latte Art Street Smart. It's on YouTube, it's on Vimeo. And what I want you to do is follow those videos to take that amazing, beautiful paint that you've created, just like white paint, and learn how to pour it. We may come back and do a second start series and go through some of those steps. In fact, why don't you check my blog, jonathanshola.com, and I'm going to post all of the steps for the heart, the rosetta, and the tulip on my blog. Thanks for listening. Send this to someone who's hungry.